0: Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. I am Bruce Drugsma. I'm the senior pastor here. Um, We we have a, a lot of things going on this morning, a lot of things that we are excited about. One of the things that is happening in our community that we are very excited about is FCA and so we have some representatives from our local FCA who are going to come up and join me up here and give us an update on FCA. If you don't know what it is, it stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It meets here in Watertown and I'm sure they're going to give a lot more better information. Um, so let's welcome FCA.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Jen Otto and um, I'm one of the adult leaders of our FCA chapter. We call it West Metro FCA. And as Pastor Bruce said, it um, stands for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's actually a global organization. I think there's something like 19,000 branches, college and high school. Um, so we um, started one. It was actually Bryce who started it a little more than a year ago. And um, we meet weekly. We have Wednesday mornings. We call them huddles. And we do um, Bible study, some worship, um, we just like to get together and learn about God. We um, have had up to eighty something kids so far that have come to at least one meeting. We average somewhere between thirty and forty-five a week, which has been amazing. And now I'm going to pass it to Eleanor Rundell. She's going to share a little more. Hi guys, as Jen said, I'm Eleanor. I'm a junior at Watertown Mayor, and I love FCA. I'm
2: part of the serve team along with Bryce. So every morning um, on Wednesdays,
0: we meet from 7 to 7.45, and we would like to invite any high schoolers that you know to come on and join us. It's such a fun time, and we want everybody to be um, participating with us, learning more about Jesus.
2: Awesome. As you guys heard, my name is Bryce, and I get to speak a little bit on FCA's mission and our goal. Our goal is to engage, equip, and empower all the students to grow in their own personal relationship with Jesus, but then go out and also make disciples of all nations. And we believe in um, the importance of a Christian community, and we believe FCA is a great tool for kids to come together and get to know each other and get to know some mentors. And for me personally, that has impacted me a ton and been a big part of FCA has been getting to know some other kids around my school or in the area that I can take this walk along with and then get to know them better. And I've seen our sports teams kind of change. That's been my personal experience. And I just want to thank you guys and all the four other, or three other churches that have helped us provide a place to meet and breakfast. So thank you guys and thank you for your church leaders and Eleanor is gonna share her personal experience with FCA. Okay, so FCA has impacted my life in so many ways, but I would say the main number one thing is
0: lifelong friendships. Being around a faith community is one of the best things I have ever experienced on Wednesday mornings. FCA has been an open door to myself and other students to follow God. FCA has taught me about the Bible who God is, and so much more thanks to people like Jen and our other
1: leaders at FCA. So we thank you for opening your doors. We thank you for providing breakfast monthly. It has blown our minds the way God has um, allowed so many churches to contribute and bless us. We covet your prayers. We want to continue to be a place where students come, and we've even just had some kids recently give their lives to Christ. Some of our students don't have never been to church or don't really participate, so to be able to present the gospel weekly is a blessing. And finally, um, we are always looking for adult leaders. Um, the commitment can be as big or as little, so if there's any adult leaders, adults out here who are interested in learning more about FCA or joining in, let us know. We'd love, love to have you. So Thank you so much.
0: Well thank you choir uh, for, for joining us again for the inaugural performance of your choral season. Uh, we've missed you. Mary Jo, thank you for playing piano. Welcome back. And Joelle, thank you for stepping in and directing. I don't know where she went, uh, Joelle, wherever you are. Thank you. Um, I am excited to welcome up this morning Zach Scoglin from Camp Shamina is going to share with us from God's Word. Shamanah has been a big part of my life personally. If you don't know Camp Shamanah, it's uh, in Motley, Minnesota. It's the Bible camp that is affiliated with our denomination, with, uh, with the Evangelical Free Church. And one of the things I hope you're picking up on this morning is our value here at Watertown E Free for kids and youth and them to come to know Christ? And camp is a big part of that. Camp Kareth, uh, where Joelle works, Camp Shamina, um, summer camps are a unique spot where kids can in- encounter God in a way that is um, not common in the world. And so we are sending our youth there for winter wipeout, we sent them there for fall fling. So we are excited. Zach, personally, I'm excited to hear Zach speak. I've known Zach for a long time. Um, I'm not going to say how long, because that will expose how old I am and how old Zach isn't. Um, so, but uh, I'm excited to hear him, him uh, give God's word. So Zach, why don't you come on up and share with us this morning?
3: Thank you so much, Bruce. This is a really exciting one for me for a lot of reasons. Um, it took me all of about three and a half seconds after pulling into the parking lot to be reminded of the relationship that you guys as a church have had for so long with Camp Shamana. And seeing people that, oh man, this person goes here. I, I forgot they went here. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting for me uh, as uh, 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 Pastor Bruce was a, a mentor to me when I was in my college years, especially um, letting me work with students and things like that. Uh, and, and ultimately, I get to share about Camp Shamanah, and I love, love, love that. I, I'm going to give a, just a quick update at the start before we hop into God's Word today, just so you get a little snapshot of what things have been going on. God has been blowing off the doors of camp. And admittedly, we're just trying to keep up. Uh, we had, in 2022, we had a record-breaking summer. We had a ton of kids come up, and we weren't quite sure, with that being the first summer that uh, was post-COVID and no regulations, what that was going to look like. And we had to figure out some really creative things in terms of how to house them. And we had almost uh, 4,900 campers come up. We celebrated that just long enough to recognize that as soon as registration opened— There are more kids that want to come to camp, and we don't want to turn them away. We uh, kicked into go mode for trying to get some cabins together, uh, changing some areas that were storage or changing some areas that weren't previously cabins to be conducive to cabins, and most importantly, recruiting staff. Because if we have kids all over the state of Minnesota come up, and we can't clearly articulate the gospel to them, we can't live it out with them, we can't give them multiple opportunities to respond, then we've missed the mark. I don't know if you own a business right now or you're in charge of hiring for anything, but this isn't maybe the most favorable time to be hiring people. It seems like everybody's hiring. Going into this past summer, we had more staff sign up to come and work to give their summer. And I would love to tell you it's because we pay them so incredibly much, right? That their 401ks really, really look good at the end of summer but that's not what it is. Uh, We had over 320 high schoolers and collegiate staff say, I want to come and serve this summer. And we needed every single one of them because when all was said and done, we had over 5,000, in fact, over 5,100 kids across the state of Minnesota came to camp this past summer. That's a ton, and and we're not a, an organization that uh, are, are four numbers. But if we don't chart it, if we don't track it, it's really hard to celebrate when God really does something that we view as miraculous. We know of at least four hundred kids that made first time commitments to follow Jesus this past summer. Four hundred, yeah, let's clap for that. I get excited. I get excited. Uh, uh, again, we celebrated that just long enough. To have our largest fall fling season ever. We had over 3,000 students up over the past six weekends. God's really doing some great stuff. Uh, We're doing some building projects to try to uh, work through that and prepare for that and eliminate any sort of pinch points. We just broke ground on a new dining hall, which is like the biggest project we've ever undertaken. It's terrifying, terrifying. But God has provided every step of the way in the past for more and more kids to come up and have an opportunity to learn about Jesus to be loved by their counselors. And so we're trusting that God's going to take care of that. Uh, I'll be out in the foyer afterwards. If you want to hear more camp updates, I can literally talk till I'm blue in the face. I love camp. That's where I met Jesus. That's where I met my wife. That's where a lot of my discipleship took place. I like talking about it. And so let's chat. This morning, however, we're going to be looking at a hard question. Um, Camp is celebrating some things, and, and where we're looking this morning isn't maybe going to feel like celebration. But I think it's a very, very important Uh, pieces of of scripture. Um, Would you allow me to to pray? And then we're going to hop into John chapter 6. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to again celebrate with FCH, celebrate with camp. And Lord, as we open your word, would you teach us? Would you give us eyes to see what was going on in these moments? Be with us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As you're turning to John chapter 6, I want to pose a question to you. What do you do when your plans for life are different than those that Christ has for us? What do you do when we're really good at making these plans? When the things that we've worked towards, invested in, whether it be our resources or our time... The relationships that we've gone after and pursued, what do we do when the goals that we've had and the plans that we've made don't match up with where Christ leads us? How do we handle that? Sometimes, if you're anything like me, uh, you tend to make these plans and you figure, hey, if I pray about this enough, if I invest enough of my time, if I invest enough of our budget, I can make this happen. But ultimately, there's so much of our life that's outside of our control— And as tight as I want to grip onto these things, when I'm reminded that I am not the sovereign creator of the world, there's this moment of pain as things might be ripped from us. This moment of tearing away as we're reminded that we aren't in control of as much as we want to be. What do we do with those things, especially the things that we've entrusted God with? This morning we're going to look at a guy that got to encounter, I think, some moments like that uh, right alongside Jesus Christ. Uh, We're going to be looking at Peter. And Peter is one of my favorite characters to look at because so much of Peter's life, maybe unfortunately for him, is recorded for us. Right? We get to see some really good things. We get to see those moments where, as as the the, uh, unspoken leader, or maybe the very spoken leader of the group— He gets to have these moments where he is leading the crew. God is using him in powerful ways. Jesus gives him specific leadership. He's the guy that's crazy and bold enough to say, I'll try walking out on the water to Jesus. Incredible moments in Peter's life. But we also get to see the terrible moments in Peter's life, right? Where he falls through the water because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Where he gets in the way of what Jesus is doing to the point that Jesus refers to him as Satan. Yikes. You get all of it with Peter. You get the good and the bad. And and hopefully for us, it encourages us uh, as we see the good and we go, I want to live for Jesus like that. As I have opportunity, I want to follow in those footsteps. And we're reminded that just as there was grace for Peter when he blew it, that there's grace for you and I. John chapter 6. I'm going to summarize a lot of the lead up to where we'll actually be at because it's a longer chapter and we don't have all day today. But Jesus has just recently fed the 5,000 people. Miracle that blew people's minds. He already was famous and popular. You get to be that way when people are healed, when they interact with you, when you speak like no one else ever has. People want to be around you. But now you just fed thousands of people a free meal. Now it's a benefit physically as well for me to hang around this guy. And so the crowds continually increase. And Jesus takes some time to call that out. This could have been a pivotal moment in his ministry where he goes, hey, we got some great momentum going. We're going to capitalize on this. We're going to roll out uh, an ad campaign or a marketing campaign, whatever that looked like in first century Israel. We're going to take advantage of this growth and we're going to grow this thing. But he kind of does the exact opposite. To that crowd that had been following him, he calls out in pure motives and he uh, essentially says, you're not here to learn. You're not here because you're interested in the kingdom of God. You're here because your tummy was full at the end of the day yesterday. You're tracking me down because you want to eat again. To that, he makes an analogy. One of the, the seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. And they balk at this a little bit. To have a miracle that they couldn't explain? Eh, that's fine. We can can rationalize that. But for you to declare yourself to be someone of significance, especially to this extent, the crowd goes, hold on, hold on. Who do you think you are? Just, Just what exactly do you have in mind about your plans? But Jesus, as he often does, doesn't seem to avoid conflict here and doubles down on it. And if I'm really honest with you, he does so with an illustration that I don't like because it's kind of gross. But he says, Not only am I the bread of life, but unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me, you have no eternal life. That's disgusting. (laughs) Right now, we read this from uh, 2023 history. We get it. We go, yeah, he's making an analogy. He's talking about what he would do, how he would give his body as a ransom for us, uh, that his, his body would be broken, his blood would be poured out to forgive us, to cleanse us from sins. But the crowd certainly didn't take it that way. They looked and went, this guy's kind of gross. Like, why is he talking about that? This whole conversation Peter is in the mix. The disciples, the 12 that Jesus has hand-selected, they're around Jesus for this back and forth. And up until this point, it's been a really great place for Peter to be. Jesus is the talk of every town that you go to. And I get to stand by that guy. In fact, he's kind of giving me more and more leadership. I'm kind of part of the core three or four guys. It's a good place to be. There's maybe a little little notoriety that he gets or a little fame that he gets just from being close with Jesus. But in this moment, Jesus is is quickly shifting from the fun preacher guy that does amazing miracles that everybody likes and loves most of the time to somebody who's saying some really hard things, things that don't make sense, things that are difficult, things that uh, if we take them at face value, we go... I don't know what to do with that. What is Peter going to do in those moments where he went from the sidekick to the guy that's figuring out what the fallout is going to be from this? We get to to, uh, a little bit later on, and and they continue to grumble. The crowd continues to grumble. Verse 60, uh, on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? They're saying, we don't get it. I don't understand why you're saying this. That's really gross. Do you actually want us to like carve you up like a Thanksgiving turkey? What's going on here? They're not sure what to do. Again, Jesus doesn't immediately answer their questions. In fact, he calls them out further and says, if this offends you, man, there's some other things that are going to blow your mind. But eventually, the crowd hits this point in verse 66 that maybe is one of the saddest moments in Jesus' ministry. Verse 66, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They hit a point where they said, That's it? I can't endorse this guy. If these are the things that he is saying, I can't get behind it. But did you notice what part of the crowd specifically was leaving him behind? It wasn't the people that were just randomly there. John calls out that many of his disciples, many of the people that had decided, I'm going to leave behind what I had, and I'm going to follow this guy. I think that he's the Messiah. I think that he's somebody of significance. I think that I need to learn from him. And so whatever was going on before, I need to follow after him. This is the breaking moment where many of them decide, that's it. I can't do this anymore. I can't follow this guy. This is a hard, hard moment. It's in the face of this that Jesus turns to the 12, those core 12 guys that he handpicked, that he spent uh, an overnight praying for before choosing them to have a, a special level of closeness with him. It's to the 12 that he turns as everybody else seems to be walking away. And if I'm really honest with you, I don't know if Jesus says this in a sarcastic way. I I don't know if he says this with a lot of emotion behind it, but you kind of get that impression that this moment stings a little bit. He looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? You don't want to ditch out like the rest of the group, do you? In that moment, I'm sure some of the disciples are trying to figure out, what are we going to do? Everybody else is leaving. Is this my time to exit? If you're Peter, you left behind uh, what was seemingly a pretty successful fishing business, especially once Jesus entered the picture and did some miracles there. Is it time to go back? I don't gather that any of the disciples understood what Jesus was saying any more than the the people that left. What are they going to do when they don't understand Why Jesus is doing something. What are they going to do when the plans that they had as Jesus' followers, as Jesus' disciples, don't match up with where Jesus is leading them? Is this time to get off the boat? We'll see their reaction in just a second, but this is a question that we have to encounter in our own lives. A lot of times we can uh, convince ourselves, even though it's things that Jesus never said or promised, that if I am close enough with God, that will insulate me maybe from some of the hardships that my neighbors or my coworkers have. I can convince myself that if I'm, I'm pursuing after the all-powerful creator of the world, the Savior who loves me and gave, uh, gave his life for me, then maybe, just maybe, I can avoid some of the things that are really hard. Maybe, just maybe, I don't have to endure the difficult things that people who don't know or don't worship Jesus seem to be hit by in this life. Again, recognizing that Jesus never gave that sort of guarantee, never gave that sort of promise. We can rationalize that until we encounter those hard things, until we encounter a job loss. Or we get diagnosed with something scary. Or our children make very questionable decisions. Or uh, the car that we just recently fixed starts making noises, and it doesn't just smell like burning, it smells expensive. Right? Fill in the blank. We can uh, try to convince ourselves, if I am close with Jesus, then maybe that will protect me from the fact that difficult things happen in this life. And we're reminded in the pain of those moments that that's not simply true. God blessed uh, my wife and I. Uh, So we live up at camp now. We work at camp back in the day. And then I was a, a pastor in various capacities in Zimmerman for about a decade. And we just recently moved back up in the summer. God's blessed us with three little girls. I am learning how to be a dad of daughters. I love it. But I'm not very good at it. But our first two, man, their introduction into the world, if there's such thing as like a simple arrival of a baby, we had it. We prayed a ton for them. And God blessed them with good health. God blessed us with smooth deliveries and, and great moments to celebrate with family. But then we had our third. And things were really, really smooth for a while, and we were sitting there going, man, I guess... If this is how things go, maybe we should just have like 15 kids, right? No, not really. That would have destroyed us. But uh, we're sitting there going, wow, this is so simple. This is great. Until we showed up for our 24-week appointment. And my wife who had previously been measuring normally. They said, doctor quite literally said, you're ready to pop. Okay, thanks. Thanks, doc. Uh, What do you mean by that? She had gone in the course of a couple of weeks from measuring normally to measuring at 38 weeks. And so we started doing all sorts of ultrasounds and things like that. And we discovered several things about our little Laney, our little Laney girl. First, we were told that uh, she has trisomy 21, or Down syndrome. And we went, okay, tell us more what that means. But we've got to learn about, or something about what life for a little girl was going to be like that day. And admittedly, we kind of celebrated it but then they started saying, but there's a lot of other things going on and we need to figure those out first. As they did an ultrasound and looked at her chest, normally, you know, your organs are just kind of around here, right? Roughly held in place. And there was this void right here. And up in the the corner pocket, so to speak, she had lung, heart, lung, beating really rapidly. As there was fluid inside of her that was expanding and they started talking to us, as our head is spinning about, okay, so here are our options. We can try to deliver at 24 weeks. We don't want to do that. Uh, we can try to put a stint in there and drain things out. But that's really high risk for both uh, mama and for baby. We can try that. And, and I'm sitting there in, the, in the, the room going, Lord, this isn't what I planned. This was supposed to be smooth. This was supposed to be just like my older two girls. What's going on here? And I can see the look on my face that she's, or the look on my wife's face that she's feeling the same way. God, what are you doing? This was supposed to go a certain way. Why isn't it? That's that moment that Peter was sitting in. What am I going to do now that God is doing something different than what I had planned? Thankfully, Peter, this is one of those moments in Peter's life where we can go, you nailed it. You got it, man. Because here's, here's Peter's response. When Jesus looks at him and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Maybe the twelve look at each other and go, who wants to handle this question? Peter, we uh, typically believe, was the oldest. He's kind of the natural leader of the group. He speaks up, maybe after a couple elbow jabs, I don't know. And he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amazing response. Amazing response by Peter. Where else would we go? I've come to figure out who you are. I know enough that I don't want to be anywhere else. That life beside you, that's where I'm supposed to be. Notice he did not say, Jesus, I got the illustration. I don't know what those knuckleheads were thinking. Clearly you weren't talking about cannibalism. I can't believe they went down the road there. He didn't get it either. But that didn't seem to to be the deciding factor for Peter. Even if he didn't understand what Jesus is doing or why he spoke in a certain way, why in this case he's turning crowds away from him, that wasn't the most important factor. He had come to know that Jesus is the Christ. And so no matter what he does or no matter what he says, I want to be by this guy. No one else has the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is a beautiful example of what trust looks like. Peter could have backed up. He could have put some distance, so to speak, between him and Jesus, or simply let other guys in the crew try to handle some of these discussions. But instead, in a moment of confusion, in a moment of of difficulty, of maybe some embarrassment as a group of why did this happen, Peter steps forward. He says, I don't, I don't know exactly why, why that took place, but I'm sticking with you. I'm not going anywhere else. For Jen and I, our story of our little girl is a, is a happy ending. Okay? After we were told that there were some pretty desperate things that they were looking at, we prayed like crazy. And we got on the phone immediately to our church church to the staff that we worked with, to anybody that we were generally close with that were believers and said, I need you to pray right now because we don't want to have to make the decisions that they're asking us to think through. We're going to do everything that we can to keep her well, to keep mama well. But there's some scary, scary options that are there and I don't like any of them. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and had some hash out type moments. Uh, with Jesus on this. Had some moments of why why is my girl's life starting this way? I don't like this. I'm sure there were some hash out type moments with Peter as well afterwards with Jesus around the dinner table as they're walking on the road. Why did you say that? Why was that the plan? We got to see God do something incredible. From the moment that we noticed that there was a buildup of fluid and they told us that more is coming. This is going to continue to be a problem. We'll have to make some decisions on how to get rid of it like that. We had so many ultrasounds, it's unreal, okay? The fluid never built up more. It stayed where it's at, and then this crazy thing happened about three weeks later where the doctor went, well, maybe it's going down. I don't know. You'll come back in tomorrow. We'll look at it again and see what happened. And from that day, the fluid kept going down. But we didn't, yeah, we can clap for that, sure. Absolutely, we certainly did. Balled our eyes out in the car, right? Had a family moment, which a doctor got to be a part of and try not to be awkward in the situation, right? But they were celebrating too. They got to know us pretty well. We got to see that rapidly go down to the point that come 30 weeks, there's no fluid to be found. Our daughter, yes, she has some fun things going on with just the fact that she has Down syndrome but she's as healthy as they come. But we didn't get to know that in the, mo- or in the moment. That's not what it felt like in the heat of the situation where our plans were drastically different from Jesus, were drastically different from what was going on in our kids' body. It was an opportunity where thankfully, and I'll, I'll attribute this to my wife as much as anybody, for us to lean in, for us to go, I don't get it. But you're the only one that can fix it. I'm not going to go to anyone else. We're going to lean into you. And so our takeaway this morning is as you encounter those life moments that sting, those life moments that hurt, because often things go different than how we had planned or how we had thought, don't allow that to be a time where you create distance between you and God where you uh, uh, allow your communication to dry up, so to speak. Allow that to be a time that you lean in all the more. A time where you, even if you don't understand why, and your prayers don't maybe sound as holy as, as other people's, where there's consistent communication back and forth between you and your creator. That's what trust is. Leaning in when things don't make sense. Leaning in when things are difficult. Leaning in when our plans are different from Jesus' plans. Uh, in just a second, the band is going to come up and they're going to uh, lead us in uh, one more song here. But would you allow me to pray as we close out this part of our time together? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the examples uh, that have been set to us by your disciples, by, by followers of you, those that we've met in person and those that we interact with through your word. Thank you for this opportunity where Peter shows us what it looks like to genuinely trust. That even when he didn't get it, even when he didn't understand what you were doing, he makes the decision that I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stay attached to you. I'm not going anywhere else. Lord, whether we're in one of those types of moments where things uh, feel intense, where things feel scary, where we have questions or confusions about what you're doing in our life, or whether we may have those down the road, Lord, would you help us to recognize that you are beside us in it and that there's no greater place to be, even when we don't have all the answers, even when we don't get the replies that we're looking for. Lord, we praise you together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Zach, for sharing with us uh, this morning. Just a couple of quick things um, before we before we go. Uh, first of all, happy Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving this coming week. I would invite you all to join us for our Thanksgiving Eve service. Uh, the choir will be singing with the other area, Uh, Choirs in the community, uh, so that is uh, this Thursday at 7, and that's at Trinity Lutheran here in town. So we'd love to see you all there. Um, And then, because it's Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving means Christmas, Advent is right around the corner. If you are available to help on Saturday, uh, next Saturday at 9 a.m., decorating here at the church so that we can uh, prepare our church facility for the Advent season, Um, We would love to have you come when you can join the fun. And there will be snacks and Christmas music and a lot of joy as we get ready for Advent. And then um, after that, like I said, it is Advent. Sunday is our first Sunday of Advent. So I know with the weather outside, it doesn't feel like Christmas is right around the corner. um, But it is. And so we're going to be doing a new series called Now, Not Yet. Looking at this idea of how God spoke throughout time Preparing the world for the coming Messiah, how they saw the Messiah arrive, and how we can respond now, uh, today, is where that series is going. So I'd love to have you join us for that as we prepare our hearts for the Christmas season. I thought it would be appropriate, uh, as a benediction, to just reread Peter's response this morning to Jesus. So from John chapter 6, and, and let this... Um, let this resonate with you as you leave. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that is our claim this morning as well. So thank you for joining us this week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.